Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number three in our series for 2021. And today's date is Friday, February the 19th. First, I'll be talking to the boss from Booktopia, Tony Nash, about how his company is going after it listed in December. And then I'll talk to RMIT economist Sinclair Davidson about the economic challenges ahead for the Morrison government in what's likely to be an election year. But now, let's hear from Tony Nash. Tony, the last time we spoke, Booktopia hadn't even listed. You listed in December. How have things changed for you and Booktopia? Not much for me. I mean, it is a bit different when you kind of log into your bank account and there's quite a few more zeros in there. That, that For the finance team, that's very uh, appealing. But I guess in, in many ways, not so much us, but I guess Booktopia in the business landscape, when you think about it with, with the way that the, the market had appreciated us, that the, the journalists were, were reporting on us. Over the years, we've heard the expression, you know, Booktopia out rattling the tin can again. So... There were times when we looked to go to the market to get money and and we always got rejected. And so that endorsement of all the hard work that we've done, and it just so happens that today, the 4th of February 2021, is the 17th birthday of Booktopia. I started it 17 years ago on a $10 a day budget. So all of that effort and commitment and resilience and all the things that people talk about us and to get there. So that that's kind of like, that's a bit of the difference. People ask me on the day, you know, what what's it, it must feel so great to be listed. It was the 3rd of December, right? It must be so great to finally be listed. And I said, guys, it's like this. Imagine being in the Tour de France and you're on the 10th stage and you you go through the 40 kilometers to go banner. And once you get through that, You've got another 40 Ks to get to the finish line, which is at the top of the mountain. And after you've done that, there's another 11 stages to go before you get to the Champs-Élysées where you travel at 20 Ks an hour, hugging your friends, drinking champagne, right? The IPO is is just a quick milestone and it's in the rear vision mirror very quickly as you're moving on to what's next. And that's really how it does feel for me. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about 
work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, okay, okay. Now, uh, of course, uh, with the pandemic, it would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? So many people reading and uh, would be subscribing it's bittersweet when you think about it because for us we were hitting our straps it was like you know a huge gale force behind you with the spinnaker up and you're holding on for dear life it's true but there were other businesses that that in certain categories that that weren't prospering letting people go struggling through so it's difficult for us to say yeah it was great yes we were up by a significant amount but it it was, yeah, it was it was a bit of a bittersweet period. Okay, well, there's been a whole shift online business now. Yeah, that's right. I and mean, basically how it feels, and that's why we actually were going to do our, our IPO potentially a year later. Uh, we had actually completed our first capital raise. We got, we got some private investment in January of last year, and that was going to go towards us, help build our automation further on top of the $10 million we had already spent to do another $12 million to get us from 30000 books physical books in and out per day to 60,000 books in and out per day and and so the plan was let's get that up and running let's have all that operational leverage drop to the bottom line so we can then go to the market and go da-da look what we've done oh my god you guys are going so great let's invest the profitability is there etc the revenue growth is there and and we were going to do that but with the pandemic happening like it was about six weeks after we got the money we we're doing all, all the implementation of the automation. And about six months later, once it was clear that the pandemic had pushed e-commerce, and not just the pure plays like us, I'm talking about e-commerce from all the traditional retailers, from the side wings into the you know, front of stage and darken the theater and put a spotlight on that on e-commerce and go, there you go. And that's really what happened. And so, so the investor community, the traditional retailers that perhaps Yes, we've got an e-commerce store, but all of a sudden they're realizing, oh my God, you know, we've got to throw more money at this. This is a huge opportunity, of which they'd already done in North America and Europe over many years. It's just the traditional retailers in Australia didn't have the same impetus, same competition, the same need to kind of make that happen. So that's really what's happened. And hence, we were able to bring the IPO forward because the whole landscape had changed. And people are asking us, you know, is it like a tsunami where you get inundated and the water recedes back to the old water line? Um, not at all. It's like more of a, uh, a railway track where you've been shot down the track a few years uh, with, with, because it went on for so long, the pandemic has gone on for so long, people have actually changed their buying habits. It was going to take a lot longer. We've just got there faster. We've got 14,000 square metre uh, facility near the Olympic Stadium and that holds around 800,000 physical books. Yeah, so we, yeah, we've got, and so we've spent a lot of money on automation, pick and pack and get that product out the door the same day, next day, 
and uh, we're increasing our stock capacity. We have in the last few years become a distributor. So publishers around the world have appointed Booktopia as their local Australian and New Zealand distributor. So we actually sell to Amazon, sell to ourselves, sell to all the bookshops, Dimix, QBD, all the small bookstores. And then we've also got into publishing uh, and we're now a publisher. So having the books in our warehouse, ready to go, uh, we're not ordering them from somebody else as much. Well, we still do a lot, but it's it's kind of sh swinging more towards us being the hub of all of all that, you know, all the all the books and all the physical books to get them to the customers. And, and of course, you're competing against Amazon. Yes, well, maybe they're competing with us. I think. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Well, when funnily enough, I tell you a story because when we got into publishing, uh, we did a deal for one title for with uh, Amazon. They had published Patricia Cornwell on a particular title and. And it was a few weeks later that I was at Frankfurt in the, at the book fair and met with the Amazon lady who had, um, who had struck the deal with us to, for us to do the, our, our edition in Australia. And, and uh, I asked her, I said, you know, out of curiosity, had you ever heard of Booktopia? And she goes, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm in the books part of Amazon. Of course, I heard of Booktopia, she said. But before I did the deal with you guys, I did my research within the company. I, and I asked people, you know, Booktopia, you know, what do you think? And they said, you know, Booktopia, they're the Amazon of Australia. And I must have had a bit of an odd look on my face when she said that because, because she goes, oh, I don't mean that in a bad way. Because it was not what I was expecting. So, but it was very cute. Look, Amazon, books was part of their DNA. They started on books. And only yesterday, um, um, for those that are listening to this in the future, um, it was yesterday that uh, Jeff Bezos announced he's going to step down as the CEO. Uh, it's less than 3% of their revenue today. And yeah. and therefore, it's not a priority that they actually are more of a tech company. And interestingly, they appointed uh, the guy that's running Amazon Web Services since, since its inception to run Amazon Total because it's a tech company. And they actually prefer somebody else to sell the book to somebody else. And yeah. they take their pick of the ticket than actually fulfilling the order themselves. Indeed, indeed. And, and uh, as you can see from uh, looking at my screen, uh, you can see I'm a, I'm a big fan of Booktopia. Yes, and, thank you. And, and I actually got onto it because I found out about you guys and I said, they're Australian. And yeah, why not, why not go with them rather than Amazon? So yeah. has that been a winner for you, being Australian? Yeah, yeah it has, of course. Um, there's, we're all parochial. We all like to support um, the local guys. Um, perhaps if it, Amazon wasn't such a behemoth and and um and was much more i mean they're very customer centric but maybe um community centric or socially centric or maybe their their plans to pay more taxes in australia so they've they've rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way i guess to a degree but they are you know one of the most successful companies ever and most you know most devotees love amazon but in australia to have an alternative to have an Aussie company, which really hasn't happened around the world, um, funnily enough. We're the only ones, I won't say the only ones, but in the English-speaking Western world, I think where there's very, there's really no other country that actually has a, an alternative to Amazon like Australia does. Indeed, indeed. And I noticed now you guys are getting into uh, audiobooks as well. Audiobooks we've had for, we've sold the physical audio CDs and MP3s for, you know, 15 years but uh, we we've and we had ebooks since 2011 and we wanted to do audiobooks but 
to put all of the investment ourselves in to kind of build that platform and all the tech around it, we we have too many other projects. So our IT guys decided that we should uh, joint venture with Kobo Rakuten and, and out of um, Canada and Japan. And so they have provided us with the, the platform to, for us to be able to audio downloadable audiobooks, audio on subscription. And, and so when you say, yes, that's new, that's new to do that part and it's going very well. It's small, but um, audio is growing. So um, I'm listening at the moment to Barack Obama's um, mm. new book from A Promised Land. Yeah, so hard for me to sit down and read a book like that as big as that, but I'm enjoying listening to it. And I, I listen to a lot of books while I'm commuting backwards and forwards to work. And I think a lot of people are, eBooks is actually more on the downer than on the upper at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people have, realize they spend so much time on screens, on their phone, on their computer, um, a book um, like uh, I can see behind you on, on your bookshelves there um, has, a, has a special place. And it's, I mean, it's a 570 year old industry that, that has been successful because of, of the way that um, the author can connect to the reader and, and have them engage with the content in a specific way that is more perhaps than just a book. It's more than just perhaps a piece of, it's, a, it's a interesting, I think in the years to come in a hundred years when they look at that and they go, why, why did books survive? Why, what, what was it about a book that didn't uh, crack when technology came thundering down you know, the, the valley to take over? It, it actually is holding its own and it's, it's quite interesting. Well, Tony, it's been great talking to you and uh, all strength to the arm of Booktopia. Thank you very much. Good on you. Thanks for your interest. And now let's talk to RMIT economist Sinclair Davidson. Well, Sinclair, uh, the economy seems to be recovering. What's your view about the government's economic priorities uh, in the lead up to the budget and in view of the fact that uh, we're probably facing an election this year? Um, I... I'm not as, as confident as, as many others that the economy is recovering. So let, let's sort of put that in a, a, a bit of a box and, and sort of unpack it a bit. Um, but I think irrespective of whether the economy is recovering or not, the big issue for the government over the next while is to get people back into work, uh, basically get more people working, um, and also to start paying down uh, this astonishing debt that we have racked up over the last year, more or less preventing the social fabric of our society from collapsing. And I, I know that sounds like, you know, a, a bit of hyperbole there, but in actual fact, if, if you kind of think back to March of last year, we, we had this new virus coming out in the world that nobody knew what was happening. Nobody was quite sure how dangerous it was, what to do best. Um, and the Australian governments or the, the, the various state governments and the federal government put everybody into lockdown. And then to make sure that people who couldn't go to work kept working, they brought in the JobKeeper uh, payments and then also the, uh, the, the job seeker. This has been astonishingly expensive. And we could look back and say, maybe it was too much, too little, we shouldn't have got it, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we've now incurred this huge expenditure. There is astonishing amounts of government debt that need to be paid off. Um, and so the government's objective first is to get people back into jobs. Um, while there's a lot of talk about the economy recovering, people are looking at the jobs figures. 
we are still about at 95% of jobs figures that were what they were back in March of last year. But if you look around the high streets of most suburbs and you look at the CBD of Melbourne, there are a lot of businesses that are gone and they are gone forever. And so I don't think that our economy can be said to be recovered until A, we've got almost everybody back in jobs or everybody back in jobs that was working and still wants to work now, uh, as was in March of last year. And that many of the businesses which have disappeared have either come back or new businesses have replaced them. One of the things that does make me very nervous, if you have a look at the, the uh, um, ABS figures which came out, I think it was either last week or the week before on payroll, a lot of the jobs that have been created or, or that are coming back are not coming back in the private sector of the economy. They're coming back in the government sector. Now, as, a, as an employee or as a worker, you don't really care who pays your paycheck. But if we want to start paying off this debt, we actually have to have people working in jobs where they are effectively net taxpayers. We actually have to have people working in jobs where you are selling something um, um, at the point of sale, where you're getting in new money, you're creating new economic activity that will lead to people paying taxes. Um, and that is how we're going to pay off this debt. The other thing that the Prime Minister has said is that we are not going to tax our way back to uh, uh, more sustainable levels of debt. We're going to have to work our way back. And, and I think that's exactly correct. I don't know that the government knows what that means, but I do know that that is actually the correct strategy. We can't just simply start taxing people uh, to pay off this national debt. We actually have to grow the economy. Um, so getting people back into work, getting people back into the kind of work that it, that, that contributes on a net basis to the FISC um, is actually the government strategy going forward. It has to be because, quite frankly, I don't think there's anything else that they, they can really do. If the economy is not recovering, what should the government do, given that we're likely to have an election this year? Um, well, they're, they're, <laughs> they probably don't want to hear this. I would actually start off by stop picking fights. Uh, we have a federal government that is picking fights with, uh, first of all, our single largest trading partner, the Chinese, and second of all, our single largest investment partner, the Americans. So the fight we've been picking with the Chinese is over COVID, for example. Um, how is it, you know, did COVID come out of a wet market in Wuhan or did it escape from a laboratory in Wuhan, as the case may be? Now, to be quite honest, I don't know that my life would have been any different in any way whatsoever in the last year how COVID-19 escaped or came out of China. So I think kind of trying to embarrass the Chinese over this is, is a waste of, of, of everybody's time. Um, picking a fight with the Chinese over Hong Kong is also, I think, a complete waste of time. Um, Hong Kong was handed back to the Chinese by Margaret Thatcher and her government. Um, a deal was made in the 1980s. The handover occurred in the 1990s. Um, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Um, so I would stop picking fights with our single largest customer. Um, and these are not even commercial fights. These are political disputes that we are having with, with, with our single largest uh, 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 trading partner. Um, and then picking fights with our single largest investment partner, the Americans. Um, this whole argument over Facebook and Google and media companies and uh, the, the ACCC's codes towards media companies 
um, is a fight that we don't really need to have. Um, it turns out my view is that media as we know it, the newspapers are, are, are in a dying industry. They are dinosaurs. I feel very bad about this because I'm a huge fan of newspapers. Uh, I have subscriptions to a lot of newspapers. I don't want to see them go. But at the same time, I, I kind of realize that forcing uh, the tech giants to pay money to the legacy media is 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 a complete waste of time it is also not a a viable strategy but in the meantime it looks like we are singling out american companies for differential tax treatment um the american government uh, uh in the last week of Mr. Trump's presidency, the American government said to us they thought this was a violation of, 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 of uh, trade agreements between Australia and the United States. I don't know if Mr. Biden's government will take exactly that same view, but I can't see why they wouldn't. Um, uh, no government is going to be happy to see their own companies being singled out for, for, for differential treatment. So... I would, I would start at that point. Stop picking fights with our trading partners. Um, Otaki is not a successful economic model. Uh, we have to sell our stuff overseas. We have to raise funding overseas. Um, Australia has never been big enough internally to, to, uh, to act as an internal market uh, for our goods and services or for investment purposes. So stop picking fights. And then all the things that I normally carry on about, you've heard me saying over the years, <laughs> you know, cut regulation, cut red tape, cut green tape, cut taxes, all these sorts of things. Obviously, taxes are going to be cut a bit slower uh, because the government does need to raise the revenue. But um, as the Prime Minister quite correctly said at the National Press Club uh, last week, I think it was, uh, we can't tax our way back into prosperity. Indeed. But... Uh this is going to be a harder political self. Oh, this is very, very hard. It's um, the part of the challenge is really um, is that I don't think our standard of living has fallen that much. Uh, we, we, we've actually had a huge hit to the economy. And, and I think uh, um, people don't fully appreciate how huge that hit to the economy actually has been. Um, and we've, we, we've come through COVID in pretty good shape. Um, as, as it turns out, uh, we haven't been nearly as badly hit as the Europeans or the Americans or, or the Chinese. So a lot of people are looking at this thinking, gee, we've come out of this looking good. Um, certainly we've come out of this with our health intact. Uh, well, most of us, overwhelming majority of Australians have come out of this with their health intact. We've come out of this uh, with our, our, our civil society intact. And the reason why we came out of this with more or less our health intact and our civil society intact is because the government spent a lot of money. And I, I have no doubt for the next two generations, we're going to be arguing about did we spend too little, too much, too fast, wrongly. It doesn't really matter. Um, we are where we are. We've spent the money and now we've got to pay the bill and we've got to work it off. And I think saying to people, uh, you've got to work it off. I think we've all gotten into the habit of working from, not all of us, but many of us, thankfully, have gotten into the habit of working from home. Uh, so going back to the office and, and sort of, you know, putting on a tie um, is, is, is actually going to be a bit of a challenge for many people because um, did, 
you know, I was kind of thinking the other day, do I remember how to put on a tie? <laughs> um, it'll be the first time since I was in primary school that I haven't had to put on a tie almost every day. So um, it's, it is it is going to be a big challenge. And of course, part of the big challenge is, is that I think despite what they said about vaccines and what have you, uh, this, vac uh, this virus is going to be with us for a while. I mean, do you really want to get onto crowded public transport uh, the way we used to? And uh, I think the answer there is, is no, we don't. So um, I, I think it's going to take a, a lot of careful thought and planning and selling to sell a message that we've got a long period of hard work ahead. Well, that's, that's one of the issues. The pandemic has changed behaviour completely yes. and i'm not sure the government has actually thought that through probably not um and there's probably a lot of things that, that we're going to discover um on the on the plus side i think the digital take-up of the economy has been awesome over the last year so now there were a lot of people who didn't want to digitize and change work models and what have you and this kind of forced them to adopt and forced them to change very rapidly so i also think we're in for a period of rapid change but People don't like change, um, and 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 so doing things differently and changing, especially if things start to return to normal, um, it is going to be a challenge on on many fronts. And I'd, to be quite honest, I think an, an election this year is is also a distraction. Elections, certainly Australian elections, are not that good for the economy because everybody kind of slows down. So the economy kind of slows down in anticipation of an election. We don't need to have an election until 2022. So I think having an early election um, is, first of all, a political distraction. And second of all, as I say, it does slow down the Australian economy whenever we do have an election at exactly the wrong time that you don't want to be slowing down the economy right now. So I would actually say to the politicians, next year is your year. And in the meantime, let's the rest of us actually get more of a recovery under our belt. Indeed. And Sinclair Davidson, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Amazon is back on top as the most visited retail website through the Black Friday sales in November and subsequent Christmas holiday trading, nudging Bunnings into second place, with Australian shoppers also browsing the net for sites offering home furnishings and price promotions. The latest online traffic data analysed by tech firm SEMrush shows that for the last quarter of calendar 2020, which was dominated by COVID-19 lockdowns and restrictions, online sites specialising in activities for the home and outdoors such as EB Games, Bunnings, Booktopia, Spotlight and boating, camping, fishing did well. Such is the popularity of the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales in November that they've dragged purchases typically made in December back a month to become increasingly important for all retailers. The added factor of the COVID lockdowns across Australia put a spotlight on online shopping, with SEMrush data finding that the traffic to Amazon's website spiked 75% in the December quarter. Amazon pushed Bunnings into second place, followed by Microsoft, Officeworks, JB Hi-Fi, Kmart, Woolworths, Ikea, Coles and Harvey Norman. Australians were also bargain hunting through the quarter, with electronics, bargain sites and department stores all popular. And CPA Australia says future lockdowns are foreseeable as we continue to deal with impacts of COVID-19. Businesses cannot continue to absorb losses created by snap lockdowns and border closures. CPA Australia says federal, state and territory governments must work together to deliver a national response. 
Financial support should be standardised, scalable, targeted and rapidly deployed. And top hotels are pulling out of the quarantine program amid growing industry fears that the spate of recent coronavirus outbreaks leaking out via staff is causing reputational damage. At least a dozen hotels have withdrawn from the program, including Sydney's Five Star Hilton and Intercontinental Hotels and Melbourne's Marriott, sparking warnings an assistant package may be needed to help the sector rehabilitate its image. And a new specialised quarantine facility will be built in Victoria, following coronavirus outbreaks from the state's hotel quarantine program, with Premier Daniel Andrews saying it was just a matter of how big and where. A 300-cabin proposal put forward by Avalon Airport is the most likely candidate for the new facility, with Airport Chief Executive Justin Giddings saying the first 50 cabins or caravans could be built in just six weeks. Mr Andrews said the Howard Spring facilities in the Northern Territory was a successful model that allowed people to go outside and get fresh air. It also has self-contained air conditioning units to reduce aerosol spreading. Adequate management of hotel quarantine has been a major issue for the Victorian Government, with the latest COVID-19 outbreak linked to the Holiday Inn at Melbourne Airport, growing to 19 cases on Tuesday. Avalon Airport, owned by Lindsay Fox's company Linfox, has put forward a concept proposal to the State Government that would allow new arrivals to walk from the tarmac directly to an on-site quarantine facility. And in a separate proposal, Queensland businessman John Wagner said on Monday he was aggressively backing a quarantine facility next to Toowoomba's World Camp Airport, which would charge the same fees as existing city-based hotels and potentially take up to a 1,000 returnees. The chief executive of Australian casino group Crown Resorts has quit amid a scandal over money laundering allegations within its casinos. Ken Barton's departure follows that of several other company directors. Last week, an inquiry found Crown was not fit to hold a gaming licence in New South Wales, meaning it cannot operate its newly built casino in Sydney. The report has also thrown doubt over Crown's casinos in other cities. Crown, which is majority owned by Australian billionaire James Packer, has been dogged by allegations of illegal activity for years at its casinos in Melbourne and Perth. Its operations overseas have drawn particular scrutiny after allegations that its junkets, or paid-for trips, for Chinese high-roller gamblers were linked to organised crime groups. In her report last week, Inquiry Commissioner Patricia Bergen found Crown had been facilitating money laundering, exposing staff to the risk of detention in a foreign jurisdiction and pursuing commercial relationships with individuals connected to criminal groups. She recommended an overhaul of the company's governance, beginning with a sacking of most of the board. Mr Barton has been with the company for over a decade, previously as Chief Financial Officer before becoming Chief Executive in 2020. In addition to general management of the company, he's also been in charge of two accounts embroiled in money laundering claims. Commissioner Bergen found he had demonstrated a breathtaking lack of care when dealing with these allegations and advised New South Wales state regulators that he was not suitable for the role. The inquiry's bombshell findings have raised questions over the company's future. It has also aimed focus at gaming regulators in Victoria and Western Australia for their failure to pick up Crown's misconducts. And Crown Resorts has been officially informed by the gaming regulator that the James Packer-backed gambling giant is unsuitable to run a casino in New South Wales. The Independent Liquor and Gaming Authority has also commenced the consultation process into whether Crown can reach suitability to hold the licence following last week's scathing report by former New South Wales Supreme Court Judge Patricia Bergen, SC. And the Western Australian Government will set up an independent inquiry with the powers of a Royal Commission to investigate Crown Resorts as a gambling giant's licence to operate and the state hangs by a thread. The state's Gaming and Wagering Commission, or GWC, recommended the far-reaching and powerful inquiry at a meeting on Tuesday night, also attended by a high-ranking WA police officer. WA Racing and Gaming Minister Paul Papalia said the government would act on the recommendation as soon as possible and give the inquiry all the power it needed.
the WA government also backed the GWC recommendation to prohibit junkets at Crown Perth. In addition to the junket ban, the GWC will use powers under the WA Casino Control Act to force Crown to gain its approval before establishing gaming bank accounts. GWC said it wanted to consider the suitability of Crown to operate a casino in Perth in light of the damning findings of the Bergen Report. The Commission, chaired by Senior Public Servant Duncan Ord, also wants to probe the suitability of Crown Associates and the appropriateness of Crown responses to the WA regulator prior to and during former New South Wales Supreme Court Judge Patricia Bergen's investigations in New South Wales. The WA inquiry will consider if legislative changes or additional regulatory control are needed to address strategic risks identified in the Bergen report. And the profit reporting season continues. Westpac reported a first quarter unaltered statutory net profit of $1.70 billion. National Australia Bank said its first quarter cash earnings were $1.65 billion, up 1% compared to a year ago. Super Retail reported a first half net profit of $172.8 million, up 201% compared to the same period a year ago. Revenue rose 23.1% to $1.78 billion. Aussie Broadband has reported a maiden first half revenue of 4.9% ahead of its projected forecast of $157.4 million. EBITDA was $7.3 million, or $8.4 million, adjusted for IPO expenses, and its business and residential customers combined rose 31% to 342634 Promedicus revenue rose 7.8% to $31.6 million in the first half of the year, while net profit climbed 12.4% to $13.5 million. Charter Hall Group has reported first-half op- operating earnings of $129.3 million, to 42.7% down on the 2021st half. Invocare expects to report a FY20 net loss after tax attributable shareholders in a range of $7 million to $12 million. JB Hi-Fi's December half jumped 86.2% to $371.7 million. GPT Group reported a $213.1 million net loss in the year ended December 31, 2020, from a profit of $880 million a year ago. Gas producer Cooper Energy has swung to a net loss of $23 million on sales, up to t- up 24% to $48.6 million for the half-year period to December 31, 2020. Asalio Cares revenue rose 2.3% to $419.2 million, while net profit climbed 46.2% to $32.3 million. Charter Hall Retail REIT reported first-half profit of $82.8 million, up 24.1% compared to a year ago. Seven West Media Group reported first-half underlying group earnings before interest and tax of $152 million, up 29% year-on-year, while underlying net profit after tax was $86.6 million, up 26.5%. Horizon reported a half-year net profit of $267 million, down 22% compared to a year ago. Underlying net profit fell 1% to $267 million. Aluminum's half-year profit after tax from continuing operations fell 12% to US $16.6 million, while revenue slipped 4% to US $80 million. Nearmap narrowed its half-year not loss from $18.6 million to $9.4 million on revenue up 18% to $54.7 million. Beach Energy reported revenue of $726.3 million, down 23% on a year prior, while net profit after tax slid 54% to $128.7 million. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank's statutory profit rose 67.3% to $243.9 million, while cash earnings climbed 1.9% to $219.7 million. Ansel's first half net profit rose 61.9% to US $106.5 million, while revenue rose 24.5% to US $937.8 million. 
e-commerce player Redbubble has lifted its net profit 1,465% to $41 million for the half-year to December 31, 2020, versus a $3 million loss in the prior corresponding period. SG Fleet reported half-year profit of $25.4 million, ahead of its $24.5 million profit from the prior corresponding period. Sims reported a first half net profit of $53 million, compared to a loss of $9.1 million in the year-ago period. Software player Ripe Technologies has reported half-year net profit of 17% to $3.8 million, on sales up 18% to $179.5 million. Breville reported first half net profit after tax of $64.2 million, up 29.2% compared to a year ago. BHP Group statutory profit was US $3.87 billion on the back of US $2.2 billion of impairments and charges disclosed in January. GWA said half-year revenue fell 4.4% to $197.2 million and normalised EBIT before significant items dropped to $32.1 million from $38.1 million. Domain Holdings revenue fell 33.8% to $137 million, while net profit rose 52.2% to $194 million. EBIT rose 18.9% to $54.5 million. Lighting retailer Adairs has reported net profit up 233% to $43.9 million on sales of up 34.8% to $243 million for the 26 weeks to December 27, 2020. IVF business Virtus Health's half-year net profit doubled to $29.9 million versus $15 million in the prior corresponding period. Class reported revenue of $25.9 million, up 27% from a year earlier, while EBITDA crime 29% to $10.4 million. Elmo's first half revenue rose 29.3% to $30.6 million and reported an EBITDA loss of $800,000, an improvement of $1.8 million from a year ago. Fish producer Tassel Group reported first half net profit drop of 32% to $27.6 million. Revenue rose 26.6% to $192.5 million. Accounting software provider Reckon has posted a full year net profit up 19.8% to $9.7 million on sales up 0.3% to $75.6 million. Money3 has issued guidance for full-year net profit of $36 million. Four-wheel drive accessories retailer ARB reported a half-year net profit of $54 million, up 113.5% compared to a year ago. Sales revenue rose 21.6% to $283.9 million. Ingenious said that half-year net profit rose 38% to $32.5 million and underlying profit rose 24% to $32.8 million. Whitehaven Coal has added to the Australian coal sector's tale of woe this reporting season with a $94.4 million loss for the six months of December 31. Merlis has reported full-year earnings EBITDA of $52 million, up 18% and net profit of $23.5 million, a 12.7% increase on the prior year. Carsales.com revenue slid 7% to $199 million. Net profit was 14% lower at $61 million. Earnings EBITDA was 9% higher at $114 million. Evolution Mining reported revenue of $982.2 million, up 9% from the previous half, while profit rose 55%, $228.7 million. Underlying net profit climbed 57% to $234 million. Travel business Webjet has revealed the results of international and state border closures with a 90% fall in revenue to $22.6 million on an EBITDA operating income loss of $40.1 million. Corporate travel's total revenue fell 67% to $74.2 million and it reported a loss of $36.4 million. It also reported underlying EBITDA loss of $15.7 million. Coles reported first half profit after tax of $560 million, up 14.5%. EBIT rose 12.1% to $1 billion. 
Domino's Pizza reported a 20.9% increase in revenue to $1.1 billion, while profit climbed 37.9% to $95.4 million. EBITDA firmed $23.8 million to $218.7 million. Treasury Wines reported a first-half net profit of $120.9 million, down 43% compared to $211.4 million a year ago. EBOS Group has reported first-half earnings EBIT of $145.9 million, up 11.1% on the prior first half. Cedar Woods property revenue rose 31.4% to $169.2 million, while profit climbed 119.8% to $22.4 million. Tabcor revenues fell 1.5% to $2.87 billion on the prior comparable period, while statutory net profit after tax declined 7% to $185 million. Vicinity Centres has suffered a $394.1 million loss for the first half of the new financial year. Software player ReadyTech reported underlying net profit up 9.3% to $44.7 million on sales, up 13.4% to $21.8 million for the half year to December 31, 2020. Net wealth increased first half net profit up 35% to $27.6 million, funds under administration of $38.8 billion in a record half of inflows. At February 15, this stands at $40.7 billion. PAC Group revenue rose just 1% to $894.4 million. However, reported net profit after tax climbed 44% to $49.9 million. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Colin Hewitt, the founder and CEO of Float, a Scottish accounting software startup that opened an office in Sydney in 2019. And he'll talk about the lessons businesses can learn from managing finances during so much uncertainty. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBell.z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.